0: Hey folks. I'm Alan Watt, and this is Cutting Through the Matrix. I'm standing in for John Stadmiller uh, tonight on the 16th of December, 2011. And uh, you've heard me, of course. I'm on at 8 p.m. Eastern, and I tend to try and chronicle this big system that we live in as we go through the big changes, the plan changes, because nothing is happening uh, on a daily basis. The plans aren't suddenly drawn up in Congress. Or across the world by themselves the, Everything takes sometimes years to plan out way in advance We're living through a script, as I say And I tend to try and chronicle the big players who set up this system uh, Their agenda, it's all wide out uh, in the open, actually For those who want to know about it And we find even some of the steerings coming out to, during World War II When they were discussing a, post, uh, a post-World War II world and they wanted to integrate this system into a, a world government at that time, right at the end of World War Two, And even put maps out of, of this uh, new world with a, a new Israel there. In fact, he called it Hebrew land. Stuff like that. So oh, everything that happens, you must understand, is planned years and years ahead of the fallout that we see as things actually happen and we go through them. And that's what I try to do. We we're really trained through propaganda from birth. We don't realize we're trained. Every generation is subtly altered from the one before it uh, through the educational system. And this was a technique that was born and tested out in the old Soviet Union as early as the 1920s, in fact, in the 30s, because Beria, who was the chief of the NKVD, at that time uh, talked to the young communist meeting, the Comintern, they called it, and he outlined the strategy of how this perfect system would work. He said it used to take 70 years to to alter uh, a society, a generation, basically, 70 years to alter their perceptions and what they believed in. He says now we have it perfected because they already had kindergarten there, of course, in in the Soviet Union as a prime thing, end of the family unit, the state takes care of the children. And uh, they could indoctrinate the children. Every two or three years, they'd upgrade their indoctrination so that each child, literally by the time they turned 30, they would be ready for the world that would exist when they turned 30. They would have all the right attitudes, the belief systems, the liberalist ideas, etc., etc. So every few years, you could literally upgrade the society. And that has been done perfectly, perfectly across the world, and especially uh, so blatant. In the United States of America Education also is a a prerequisite to uh, ongoing propaganda One of the, the, the masters on propaganda, in fact, was Jacques Ellul, he called himself And he was a philosopher in France He went through the whole system of the need to get the correct education So that all subsequent propaganda would take upon the people Now I hear the music coming back after these messages You're listening to the National Intel Report with your host, John Stadtmiller. Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt and we're back filling in for John Stadmiller. and talking about propaganda because it's so important to understand that pretty well everything out there is propaganda. It's a perfected science, perfected long, long ago. And as I say, you must go back to uh, the earlier times to understand what's happening today and why it's happening because... Even during World War II, those high up in the State Department were determined in the U.S. to bring in a world government, and they really, really tried very, very hard. They thought the public would be on their knees after so many years of war and high taxation and rationing in many countries, and they found out that the people were not quite ready, so they they went the long route, basically, the the long road to the same ending. But what they also did, uh, and you'll find out even when, when uh, World War II ended, they brought over people from Europe. And one was part of the Venice School, they called it, and the Frankfurt School as well. And these two groups were basically communistic. Uh, I'm putting it very lightly there. There's much more to it than that. But they were preoccupied with uh, world, the world governments and how to rule over people in authoritarian expert pipe fashion rather than this democracy that was too messy and cumbersome. So uh, the, the president of the United States actually uh, authorized the setting up of the combination of these two groups who ran out of Europe when Hitler came in, and he set them up. They worked through World War II. And then they called themselves the Macy Group. The Macy Group also brought in professors from all over uh, the world, including Lord Bertrand Russell. And their job was to so incredibly alter and radically alter the American culture and basically follow uh, the Marxist doctrine into the family unit, end of uh, Christian religion especially, and uh, and also the liberalization of all social uh, norms. As they called it at the time. And the reason they gave for it too was, to, uh, was that the US, they said the US was so like Nazi Germany, a fascist in other words, that, that it could become truly fascist. And that's what they hoped to prevent. So they wanted to bring in a world government, a liberal-type system, but also ruled by the opposite of fascism, which is communism. It's just as totalitarianism, or totalitarian. And I believe basically they're, they're one and the same thing. They're two, two sides of the same coin. And you have the same kind of people in there with the same ideas. In other words, they don't believe that people can manage themselves and uh, they must be managed. As I say, democracy, they said, was just too cumbersome, too expensive, and uh, they couldn't get uh, things done quickly and swiftly because people had thought they had rights and they would stand up and demand that those rights be uh, followed, basically. So we know, for instance, that one of the big groups that worked with Macy's, of course, was the Council on Foreign Relations, another totalitarian group uh, that was set up. Really, it came out of the 1800s with the Cecil Rhodes Foundation. And the Cecil Rhodes Foundation It was in league with, with uh, Lord um, Rothschild at the time. Their job was to send guys across the world, start wars like the Boer War. And this is no conspiracy theory. This was admitted in the book, uh, Tragedy and Hope, and the Anglo-American establishment, by Professor Carl Quigley, who was a professor, the official historian uh, also for the Council on Foreign Relations. They started the Boer War, and they blamed the Boers for it, much like we've seen happening time and time again uh, with the starts of war. same techniques are always used. Then you start it, and you blame the enemy. So you find that the Council on Foreign Relations came out of this group, uh, the Cecil Rhodes Foundation, but amalgamated with the Milner Society. The Milner Society was set up by a bunch of international moneylenders. Uh, that's, that's the real big boys, the guys who lend to nations and buy all their bonds as well. And uh, they formed the Royal Institute of International Affairs. In other words, they had a royal charter uh, by the king, uh, to, to do what they were doing, so the King obviously was on board for this this world system, and the American branch is the Council on Foreign Relations, almost every fight uh, all major media Personalities are members of this organization. You can't join it because you want to join it. You must be asked to join it, and you're carefully screened and watched for years before they'll approach you. But again, it's it's good too if you go to the right uh, Ivy League universities because they do have their scouts there and residents that pick them out and groom them for their positions. A few nights ago, on my own. Broadcast, I put up a list of the so-called experts list of the Council on Foreign Relations. I might, I'll put it up again tonight on my own website, cuttingthroughmudix.com. And you can see this international group. They have, they have departments in every country across the globe. Now, they also, this Royal Institute of International Affairs CFR was not only to control all media and all propaganda and by the way, entertainment, but also to, to go out, send guys out Uh, And through corporations, they would build up corporations and monopolize different markets. They'd go out across the world, and they would uh, take over all of the world's resources. This was the world they talked about even before World War II, during World, World War II, and after World War II. And they've been awfully successful at that, too, because as you've noticed, your water supplies are getting owned by fewer and fewer corporations. Personally, I think it's just one corporation, and we're given the appearance of competition. I really do believe that. The same with the agri-food business. Five agri-food companies own basically the food supply of the world and all the seed as well. So uh, I would say their agendas worked awfully, awfully well. As far as the cultural takedown, uh, they've been very successful at that because they used everyone's tax money for years to liberate the female. That was important to unleash Eve, as they called it at the time, in their own writings, because Eve would go the same way as Eve would always go. It's worship me, and uh, I'll do what I want. And uh, I'll have fun instead of having a family That was so important to destroy the family unit So the pill came out just in, along with uh, the 60s The swinging 60s And that was promoted from the top down All of it, the drugs, everything came from the top down All the top radio hosts and television hosts Had uh, rock stars on falling off their chairs And it was all tee he isn't this fun Including Britain as well, as America And in other words, this was the culture they were promoting from the top down. Now, why would those who were in charge of your country uh, want to have the, the population emulate what they were seeing there? Well, it's obvious. They wanted you to emulate what you were seeing, and it took off like crazy. The big foundations, of course, which are the fronts for the distribution of money and the agenda and think tanks, they run the non-governmental organisation armies across the world. They also get in on the act too, and they help fund uh, a lot of the big the big festivals in the 60s and 70s as well. To take down society, they wanted to depopulate the world as well. And of course, if people, no one's marrying anymore, no one's having children. Uh, if you legitimize abortion, of course and they've got contraception, uh, then that would naturally bring down the population of those countries that were using those methods. Old agenda, the communist, is identical, as I say, to the communist manifesto. Every plank in the communist manifesto has been accomplished, basically, when you look through them. And what we have today is simply the turmoil at the ends of an age, basically, because the big boys, too, they use professors who classify history in ages. And we're at the end of an age, an age of commercialization, of consumerism, and we're post-industrial as well, we're post-consumer. But they're also saying from the big think tanks at the top, like Club of Rome, we're also post-democratic. Now... It was a much faster way to end democracy than let it peter out gradually and gradually as you're ruled by experts. And we've been ruled by experts, of course, on television stations, even the weather stations, for many, many, many years. That's how you're conditioned to accept expert opinion, regardless of the propaganda behind it. But, as I say, the best way to do it was to, of course, kick off uh, the new American century, that was the 21st century, which really started in 2001, with a world war. A world war that would be so vague, too, uh, that they could expand the meaning forever, so they used terrorism, a war on terror. Because they wanted to reshape the whole globe and bring in this new system that's been on the go for an awful long time, actually, uh, now that society is ready to be mastered. You understand, when a society has been conquered you have all the problems that you've grown up with. You've watched You've read about all the problems. The mass welfare state was promoted, of course, because they needed women to be the ones who would want children to bring up children by themselves. So the welfare state was really created for that reason. So much so that in Britain and most European countries in the 70s, early 70s, they said that their massive building projects would be to build single-parent family units, and they went ahead and did it. They, they knew exactly where it was all going because there's only one way it could go. It was being pushed that way. And as I say, now today we're at the end of that because even the matriarchal system has been taken down as well as they dismantle the welfare state. Now everyone is helpless. You understand? No one, No one can get on with anyone else for very much of a time period at all and when you when you are like that, the government is Big Brother, and the Big Brother brother can talk directly down to you. One of the big propagandists for this world regime in the early 1900s and late 1800s was H.G. Wells, who was picked up at school and uh, basically groomed for his position as a propagandist for this secretive group that called itself Milner, Rhodes, and then Rollins of International Affairs, and I'll talk about what he said when I come back from this break. Hey, hey, look out, junior. I say, I don't Hi folks, I am Alan Watt, back standing in for John Stadmiller, talking about uh, some of the history behind this so-called New World Order, it's very, very old talked about copiously in the 1800s, even in the 1700s. Interesting, going back to the Founding Fathers, and you find Franklin, when he was asked about how this formation of uh, uh, federated states would come to pass, what hope that would they have for the world, he said, uh, we hope it would be the foundation for a federation of the world. That's what they hoped back then. So there, were still, there was still a separate group working alongside the rest of them even back then. It's never gone away. It's still here, alive, and very, very, very well indeed because it's on the march and it's at the top of the tree. But going back to H.G. Wells, H.G. Wells talked about a, 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 a modern utopia. That was one of his books. And the utopia was one where they drastically reduced the population by sterilizing what they called the unfit, and the ones who had didn't really match up, including people who were dissidents. So it wasn't an IQ matter at all. You could be a dissident, you see. You didn't like the totalitarian uh, system where everything was so regulated, and they would basically sterilise you and allow you to die off. And he thought that was much more humane th- than, uh, than, than just killing you outrightly. The communists did. But he also belonged to the Fabian Society, which had a, a desk basically right next to to Lenin and Stalin, and they got all the information coming going for many, many years into the U.S. and Britain right from the desk of the Kremlin. So the Cold War was a bit of a farce as far as I'm concerned. Uh, even Lenin himself said that um, uh, first they would unify most of Europe and standardize the system in Europe uh, for about a generation, again 70 odd years or so, it says then the dictatorship would come down and communism would blend with into the West. It would move into the West. It already had moved, of course, during that whole period. And uh, it would be called something else. It, says, it wouldn't be quite capitalist and not quite communist. Well, this is what it's in today. It's globalism. It's an economic system run by top bankers and uh uh, of course, the, the World Trade Organization that really is there to ensure that their own big favorite corporations can have free trade and everybody else is kept out of the deal. But they can also cut out any country from trading with anyone else uh, if you don't join. Use blackmail. So we're living in a planned society, a planned world, but you have to go back again to propaganda. Propaganda is so incredibly important as you're trained generation to generation uh, multiple times, um, reading the polls even is very interesting because I can remember a few years ago when they came out with the big, the big uh, something was bound to grab the headlines. Uh, do you believe that the gay marriage should be uh, legalized? And the, it showed you the people that who were 50 and over said no. Most of them. And then it got down to about the 40 age group and it was starting to wither a bit and, uh, they did a bigger uh, percentage all for it. So what sort of thing? Once they hit the, the population at 25, uh, with the, with the latest indoctrination from school, they call it sexual education, but it's actually indoctrination, uh, then most of them say, well, so what? You know, because they've been taught that nothing's right, nothing's wrong. And, uh, so that's how we're trained. So when you have ideas and thoughts about things, you have to really first start with yourself and say, Who am I? Uh, how did I become me? Uh, what do I believe in? How did I, how did I get these thoughts? And, and retrace all your, your, your thinking patterns and belief systems and come to your own conclusions to realize that this has been an incredible war that you've been living through all the time, and it's never been openly declared upon you personally, um, at least not at your level or the media level But it has been way above uh, that level Everyone has had a war uh, Waged upon them Without even knowing Without even knowing And as I say When you read the old books you'll find out As I say the great statements by Lenin and others Who talked about this system merging uh, About 70 years later Or so and bingo On cue the, the Soviets just give up It's eh? like that now, Jacques Ilal, as I mentioned, who was a philosopher in France, knew this whole agenda, of course. He was a bit blind in other parts of it. But he did say propaganda must also furnish an explanation for all happenings. And if you listen to the simplistic news you get, uh, you've been guided to come to the conclusion with every on every point. So it gives an explanation for all happenings, a key to understanding the whys and the reasons for economic and political developments. News loses its frightening character when it offers information For which the listener already has a ready explanation You've been prompted and geared for having an explanation You can fill in the blanks for them, you see Or for which you can easily find one The great force of propaganda lies in giving modern man All embracing simple explanations and massive doctrinal causes Without which he could not live with the news Back with more after this
1: You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network. Because you can handle the truth.
0: You're tuned in to the National Intel Report, the real talk radio show. Hi, folks. I'm Alan Watts, standing in for... John Stadmiller, talking about how we got to where we are, and nothing happened by chance. We're taught, of course, and we like to believe that generation by generation, it's our generation, you see. And we think somehow we're doing everything, and what a stupid idea that is, when old men and old women living in Hollywood basically give you your culture updates for every generation. Very, very wealthy people who aren't scrimping around in rags. By any means, as the youngsters are pretending it's their generation, I shall laugh when the who came out and it was talking about my generation, and that was the theme back then too. To separate the generations, that was that was very important too, because the communists talked about it and um, they said that if we could separate the generation, make a gap, they called that generation gap, uh, then uh, history and values would not be passed actually called it contaminated values, would not be passed on from parent or grandparent down to the child or grandchild. And they were awfully successful with that as well. So once again, entertainment industry, everything comes into making you believe who you are and, and the society you live in and your particular generation as well. And when you're young, of course, you're a bit arrogant. You don't know everything you think you do. And uh, and you want to believe that somehow you're on the cutting edge. You know, we're changing society. Like we are changing society. All you, know, all all the big boys need is a, a mob, a big big mob of people who believe that, and they use them to the fullest extent. So as I said too, Jack Zilow said the same things. His modern propaganda reaches individuals enclosed in the mass and as participants in that mass. That goes for every generation. You see. Yet it also aims at the crowd as well, but not only is a body composed of individuals. Uh, What does this mean? First of all, that the individual never is considered an individual, but always in terms of what he has in common with others. That's your generation, we're all here for a cause, etc., such as his motivations, his writings, or his myths. So you've have something in common with the crowd, you see. That means also those who are pulling the strings on you know how to get you into your kind of crowd, pro-anti-whatever-it-happens-to-be. And propaganda tends to make an individual live in a separate world. This is the, the, the beauty of real overwhelming propaganda. The beauty of the Western propaganda is it doesn't appear to come from the government appears to come from what you think, if you think at all about it. Most folk don't. They just expect the same newscasters to be on on the same stations. They don't really think where they come from. They're all private organizations. They're all council and foreign relations. They're all owned by media moguls to make sure that all news is concentrated and standardized and as Brzezinski said back in his book uh, from the 70s between two ages he says eventually the public will come to expect the the media to do their reasoning for them what a fantastic job they've done eh? what a fantastic job you see before all that back in the 50s and 60s people were very suspicious of the media they knew uh, the characters these media moguls who owned them they knew they had political and social agendas but not now They've forgotten all about that now. So, as I say, propaganda tends to make the individual live in a separate world. He must not have outside points of reference. Every station you tune into has the same spiel, in the same order, same stories. He must not be allowed a moment of meditation or reflection. Instead, a successful propagandist will occupy every moment of the individual's life. Are you being controlled every moment by an individual? To an individual, you. Through posters and loudspeakers, when he's out walking, through radio and newspapers at home, through meetings and movies, because you see, the messages are always, they always come first before the events in the movies. If you ever wonder why that happens, that's intentional. It's called predictive programming It implants in your mind of the possibility. When the real thing happens, it's kind of familiar and you go along with it. And that's from Jaxie Lull and the Formation of Men's Attitudes. And also, it says, to make the organization of propaganda possible, the media must be concentrated. The number of news agencies reduced, the press brought under single control, and radio and film monopolies established. The effect will be greater if the various media are concentrated in the same hands. And that's from, the, again, the same the formation of men's attitudes and propaganda. So, it's, it's been used on us to a fantastic extent to say if you turn, uh, the, just the moral side alone, which was the fabric, it was the glue that kept society together, made it function. From, from say the 1930s, 40s and 50s even, and then the massive role it went on in the so-called liberation era. Now most revolutions are actually social revolutions uh, under the guise of liberalism. And we've seen one after another until nothing works anymore. That was intentional. That's how you destroy a society. That's how you destroy an entire culture. And when they're destroyed, they're helpless because no one will stand up for anybody. One-time families would stand up against anybody at all, even government. But as H.G. Wells said, our aim is to so destabilize and eventually diminish any family ties that no one will stand up for anybody. And then Big Brother, the government, can can talk right directly down to you. And when they come for you, no one's going to stand up and help you. That's the totalitarianism that H.G. Wells salivated over for his organization that he worked for. Incredibly effective and one, one of the organizations, were, it was a Fabian Society, George Bernard Shaw, uh, who again was elevated, because these guys are elevated up to be writers by the organizations that fund them and make them well-known. And uh, Shaw said that eventually you, the people, will have to come to us and justify why we should allow you to stay alive. What are you doing for the great society, for the greater good, etc., etc.? So here we are at the, the tail end of this part, as I say. It's a war for the whole global society. The Council on Foreign Relations is an amazing, has amazing websites. And if you go into them, you'll find that they're always way ahead of uh, the wars because they foment the wars because all, all their writers are members of the press and they make sure that they foment the wars. Uh, that's, their, that's their orders. And yet they're the, only the outer party. Of the CFR. There's an inner party as well. The European Parliament, uh, a special branch of the Royal Institute of International Affairs or CFR was set up for all parliamentarians there too and for all the bureaucrats that really run the show over there. It's not a democratic institution and the one for Europe, as I say, the CFR for Europe was set up basically by George Soros. So the money boys really run the show, but they always have for the last hundred odd years, rather blatantly and openly, if you really go into the history books. They know what their agenda is. Uh, they believe, as I say, in a world that's going to be vastly reduced in population. They believe it's time and evolution, you see, the really high evolutionists, to get rid of the unfit, uh, all the useless eaters, for a post-industrial society. And also, they want to... And bringing out a utopia for themselves to live in. You know, the proper people will have the utopia where the world is all the other villages are just flattened and disappeared, and they can go hunting uh, because they're already restocking uh, the land around you in the rural areas. They call it rewilding, but they're restocking them up with uh, wolves and all kinds of predators, uh, as we still live in on the land. That's how much uh, contempt they have for the general public. Now. As I said, you can't really talk enough about culture because it all swings on culture. The U.S. of the 30s, 40s, and 50s still had, at least if nothing else, it had definitely a strong Christian culture. It doesn't matter if you were Christian or not. The culture was Christian. Uh, there was no such thing as moral relativity. Everyone knew the tribal rules. And that's what they are. They're taboos or tribal rules. Every little tribe has them. Very simple. You follow the rules and everything works. If you break the rules because these rules are so catastrophic, even in a small tribe, you get rid of the people. That's what they did. And we find now that promiscuity is at the top of the tree. Everyone's promiscuous because that's normal now. That's normal now. But they don't have children. They don't have children and then they bring in masses of immigrants and then everyone gets upset with the immigrants because they're the only ones having families. Because they haven't been destroyed yet culturally. Whereas the, the native people are. They've already been destroyed. It's here. It's done. It's finished. It's so debased now. When you watch music television or anything like that, it's just a, it's just a, a very scantily clad orgy you're watching. And that's called general entertainment. There's pornography everywhere. And uh, that's to ensure that no one's going to bond. That was the whole key. Uh, Some of the top players in this whole movement many, many years ago said they must separate uh, the bonding that comes with sexual intimacy. They must separate it completely until there's no bonding takes place. And that's what comes out of promiscuity, you see. That way, no one Starts a family, has a family. No one stands up again for anyone else. Bertrand Russell, again, the big player with the Macy Group and the Frankfurt School and many other departments of this world organization, uh, said the same thing. He says, we shall create a hedonistic and narcissistic society. It's all about me. Look at me. And uh, a perpetual Peter Pan's, people who would never want to grow up, And we go into any big city now and look around you. There's no wisdom from any elderly people at all. They're still trying to dress and look uh, like the, again, music television, um, performers, put it that way. It's rather sad, but they have nothing to pass on. All they do is watch television. All they talk about is what was on television. There's no wisdom. They don't read. They don't even communicate properly. They have nothing to say. As I say, Brzezinski knew this. So they have nothing to say and communicate to each other, he said, except what was on the previous night's news or television. And that's all happened. These guys don't make these statements, you understand? When you read these books, they don't make such statements lightly. They, every word and every phrase is carefully, carefully thought out. Incredibly carefully thought out for those in the know, and that's why they have the writers go over it or readers go over it and over and over it to make sure there's no superfluous wording and that everything is precise and coherent for to those in the know. And that these are the ones who generally read the books. Most folk don't care about them. They're not sexy enough. They're too boring for the young, and so. You you find even people like Adorno, Theodore Adorno, who was brought over specifically to alter the culture along with the Macy Group by the President of the United States, by the way, post-World War II. Theodore Adorno uh, also talked about this technique in some of his books, and he was an incredible snob. he um, He said that I would like to write in my native German. He said it's more precise than English, which was true. But he said that the average parent, he says, I would have to change my style. He says, most people cannot carry a thought any longer than about 15 words in a sentence. His sentences sometimes ran two pages. Now, even though he's a snob, he was also telling the truth. Most folk today think in bits and bytes of information. And... Before that, people used memory. You could follow a conversation. You could follow a thought or a sentence, even if it was two pages, without losing the initial thread of the start of the page. Most folk can't do it now. We've been so dumbed down. So dumbed down. Other techniques have been used in us as well. We know that the IQ has dropped. A few years ago, the UN readjusted the new IQ, the new normal, to a few points lower. We've all been poisoned with the drinking water additives, we've been poisoned with inoculations and to cap it off we also have been poisoned by the GM food, which is also also apart from the GM part of it too, it's also so full it's actually saturated in chemicals in every cell. It soaks it up. The plants soak the stuff up in every cell. And the cancer rate go sky high, so once again you achieve your 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 your, your objectives sterilization uh, cancers death, depopulation stupid people stupid, but you must admit there 's never been a, a period in history where there have been so many stupid, happy people let 's be honest let's be very honest about it the the, the culture that 's been brought in again. Uh, and a roller coaster. Of a, apart from promiscuity, no families, just party, is the party itself. Many, many years ago, youngsters never thought of partying every weekend. Now it's into all age groups, that's what you do, is, is you party. Then the guys sit there and, and watch sports with their pot bellies, pretending, projecting onto their, to the team leaders that they're in there on the game. What a joke. Because he's been emasculated for years, he's out of the picture. Because they gave all the power and authority through indoctrination to the female. And the females, uh, if they can easily dominate a male, they'll always hate the male. This is something that the ancients knew. A specific religion have always known this. And, uh, and they make good use of it. And also... Um, that, uh, as I said, she can't dominate the guy, she'll, she'll hate him, she'll end up hating him, but she'll always test him. Even even if she's on a par with a guy or respects a guy, she'll still test him forever. That's just nature. So eh, you understand when you study nature, you can see the Achilles heel and everything if you want to weaponize it. And that's what the big boys did. You can go as far back as, as Madame Blavatsky, who was put out there to bring in women into Uh, a mystical movement, because religion is very important, as I say. And they wanted to start a religion off, a kind of female branch of Freemasonry back in the 1800s. And she was a fraud, caught many times. She's also lesbian as well. Uh, She started up houses for homeless working women and then got in trouble with the women, actually, and kicked out. But anyway, I'll talk about that when I come back from this break and continue on my thoughts here. Hi, folks. I'm Alan Watts, standing in for John Stadmiller, and uh, I was going to talk about Blavatsky there for a minute, but uh, she did say I made some amazing things about the future, because she was in on the Masonic idea, too, because Masons at that time were radical. They were revolutionary, in fact, and that was well known. But uh, I've got callers higher on the line here. There's Larry from Louisiana. Are you there, Larry.
1: Yeah, uh, you you mentioned religion. Who was that that said religion is the opiate of the people?
0: Well, Marx said it. Then Lenin said it, and Lenin. Is, yeah.
1: Do you you think that uh, they had had a couple of huffs of the good stuff so they knew what they were talking about? Uh, Like, let's take them Taoist priests. Are they like a junkie down in the gutter just crawling around, or is there a methodology in which one could use a thing like that and live a a pretty much normal, successful, and productive life?
0: You talk about using a religion successfully. Um, Of course, even in ancient... Actually, in, in pagan times, in the ancient times... Uh, compared to the, to the modern standards, pagans were more moralistic than we are today.
1: Oh, okay. Well, I was just wondering because, you know, you know the, the, the Taoists, they, they use opium as a part of their religion, but they're not just stoned junkies uh, out in the corner, uh, gazy-eyed in the...
0: Yeah, I mean, you, you take you take some sects of India, like the Jainists, and, and they use uh, hashish in their ceremonies, so they are stoned, absolutely. And even Blavatsky in Theosophy used to bring in um, uh, bowls of burning hashish into the into the halls everyone got stoned during the lectures and that 's where they became true believers <laughs> but so drugs have been used and the ancient Greeks also used drugs as well for some of their high ceremonies um, where they would actually go out to it was, it was a day where you went out and grabbed any woman and just simply raped her on the spot uh, but they t- took a lot of drugs before they did that so uh, drugs have always been used uh, actually in a lot of, in a lot of religions it's still are in some of the present modern day religions as well but um, you'll find in those who, who run the world who always had this alternate agenda uh, they've always used drugs in, in their, their high uh, court ceremonies and so on uh, they have their own particular uh, belief system yeah.
1: okay well thank you I just
0: wanted to get your ideas on that thank you Alan Okay. and there's Rodney from Illinois on the line too Hello. Hello, Yes.
1: Yes, sir. Uh, I do enjoy your your shows in the evening. Um, I'm thankful for this opportunity to call in. Um, I've failed uh, to get through on a couple of occasions. I've got a friendly debate going on with a good friend of mine and it centers around the concept of conspiracy. Mm -hmm. My friend says when he is confronted with a scenario where conspiracy or incompetence are the obvious choices, or let's let's say just two uh, choices at the top of the list. He prefers to err on the side of incompetence. Now, I myself um, choose to err on the side of conspiracy, as in malice aforethought, he chooses to err on the side of uh, incompetence with no thought. Mm-hmm. And this is a concept I've been wrestling with for 20 years. Yeah. Now, as, as you may guess, being a, um, um, a, a listener of your program and uh, what I've just said, where I come down on this, but there, there seems to be still a dilemma uh, trying to um, identify the motive the the intent and just how widespread this filters down um from on high and i yeah. wonder if you could address this sure. dilemma this debate
0: i'll do that when i come back uh, from this this break okay